Well, if you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles with me this morning. And let's open them up to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. As we continue looking uh, in these days at chapters 25 through 35 and uh, the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. This morning we come to Genesis 26. Genesis chapter 26. And so I hope that you will have your Bibles open and that you'll follow along with us uh, as we come to verses 23 through 33. Verses 23 through 33. So we're going to begin reading there. Genesis 26, beginning in verse 23. And this is the Word of God. From there he went up to Beersheba, speaking of Isaac. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. And that same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba, and therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Well, salvation is a treasure chest of blessings that we cannot fully unpack in this lifetime. The moment a person first believes in Jesus He does not even begin to understand just how wide and deep and vast are the blessings that he has just come into in that very moment. Honestly, if a person really understood in the moment they believed on Jesus, if if they really grasped the weight of how good their God has just been to them in that moment, their hearts and their minds would not be able to bear it if we really grasp the blessings in which we live, we would not have the capacity. We we, we would pass out if we really got it. You may have seen moments like this on television in in which a person receives news that is so good, that is so amazing, that he or she just falls to the floor and passes out. Right? That would be an appropriate response if we really understood just how good our God has been to us through Jesus Christ. Friends, we are sinners deserving of hell. That's, that's who we are. And God has been merciful to us in ways that ought to just blow our minds. One of the 
aspects of salvation that, that most Christians probably don't realize when they first believe is this one. God is giving to His children the world. Yes, God gives us the forgiveness of sins. Yes, God gives us escape from hell. Yes, God gives us the joy of having Him as our Father and we as His children. Yes, He gives us real purpose in life. Yes, God gives us His very Spirit to dwell inside of us and to make us holy. Yes, God gives us His very Son to be our Lord and our Savior, to be our Bridegroom forever. On and on and on we could go with so many of the blessings that God has given to His children. But in the midst of all these incredible gifts, there's this one. He's also giving to us the world. In the beginning, God created the world. He then created Adam and gave the world to Adam. He gave Adam authority over the world. He, he told Adam, now you go and take dominion over the earth. So there will be a day when wickedness will be removed from this world. It will be reshaped and renewed and Christ, heaven will come to earth. Christ will come to earth and, and this place will be turned into a new heavens and a new earth. And once again, man will be given authority to take dominion over the earth. And we will dwell there in a perfect world with Christ as our head forever and forever. That's a little blessing. Today, this world is not our home, Christian. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are not of this world. We are different. We don't belong here. We don't belong in the midst of all this wickedness. We've, we've been separated out. We've been chosen out of this world. Heaven is now our true homeland. But there is a day when our true homeland will come again to earth. Today, we live as strangers and as exiles, as, as foreigners and sojourners. But one day, this world will be our home. If you get that, if you, if you understand that, if you recognize that the Bible teaches that, you'll immediately see how similar Isaac's situation is to my situation and your situation as a Christian. Isaac is experiencing in Genesis 26 on a, on a micro scale what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, including you and me today, are experiencing on a macro scale. Isaac is living in a little strip of land called Canaan. It's not his land. He is a sojourner. He is an exile. And yet God has promised him that one day that land will be his and his descendants. It's not his home today but it will one day be his home. Isaac's life is like a picture of our own. His life is a, as a sojourner in a land that right now is filled with sin and wickedness, but will one day be made new in which there will be a kingdom that will dwell on it, including his descendants. That is a picture of our lives in which we live on this planet, and one day this wickedness of this world will be removed, even the wickedness that's still in our hearts. It will be taken away. It will be gone. And this world will be made new and we'll live on it forever in a glorious kingdom. Isaac is in micro scale. What you and I experience in macro scale. And thus, as we read Genesis 26, Isaac is a picture for us of some of what we should expect in our lives in this world 
as sojourners and exiles. This is our interpretive framework for reading Genesis 26. These are the glasses through which we read Genesis 26. Isaac's life, living as a sojourner in a land that will one day be his, is a picture of what we should expect as sojourners living in a world that will one day be ours. And when we read Genesis 26 that way, lessons pop up everywhere. Truth for us just begins appearing in every verse. I've gone back and forth on how many I was going to show you. And in the end, I've settled on six. And we've already seen several of them. There are six in particular that I wanted us to see from Genesis 26. We've seen four of these already. The first truth was that our lives are to be lived by faith in the promises of God. Our lives as Christians in this world are to be lived by faith in the promises of God. Why will Isaac trust God? Why will Isaac obey God even when it means keeping his family in the middle of a famine? He's going to obey God because he trusts God's promises. He's looking to God's promises. What should motivate you and me every day, in every situation, to be faithful to God, to obey God's Word, even when everything inside of us wants to go the other way? We know that God's Word says this. What's going to keep us obeying God? Answer, do we believe His promises? I will be with you, and I will bless you. I know what is right for you. Trust me, blessing will come. We saw that last week in the opening verses of Genesis 26. Why have Christians been willing to have their heads chopped off rather than deny Christ? Why have Christians been willing to give up nice, comfortable lives here in America and go to hard places and risk their necks in sharing the gospel? What motivates Christians to live one way when everyone else around them is living a different way? Answer, the promises of God. Dear Christian, you must hold on to the promises of God. The second truth, we saw this last Sunday night, is that unholy fear will lead us into sin. If instead of keeping our eyes on the promises of God, we instead look around at our circumstances. We look around at our situations that come to us. We look at all the obstacles and we look at all the trials and we allow fear to grip our hearts. We will fall into sin. We will make foolish decisions. And they will have terrible consequences. Proverb 29.25 The fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Last Sunday night, we saw how Isaac trusted, did not trust in the promises of God, but rather allowed his heart to be gripped by the fear of man, and it led him into sin. Do you want to be safe, Mount Hermon? Do you want to walk on paths where you don't have to be anxious or afraid? Do you want to be secure? Do you want to avoid snares that would entangle you in sin and turn your heart away from God? Then you must guard your heart against the fear of man. If God is for you, who can be against you? 
We must find boldness and confidence in our Savior, in His Word. We must know who we are as children of God. And when we know who we are as children of God and we're resting in the promises of God, we can boldly obey the commands of God and fear will not stop us. We should fear God, not man. (laughs) Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Matthew 10, 28. How often do we allow the fear of what others might say or what others might do to lead us into disobedience? What we ought to fear is disobedience to our awesome God. Instead, we fear the attitudes and the thoughts of other people and do the very thing we ought to fear. Disobey God. The third truth that we saw in Genesis 26 that applies to us, it's a precious one, is that God gives His people blessings in this life, not just in the life to come. It's not as if God holds back His blessings until the last day. And then when we step foot into the new heavens and the new earth, suddenly He releases the floodgates and blessings come upon us. No, no, no. He's, he's already opened up the floodgates of blessing. Ephesians 1.3, you know it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You already have God with you, Christian. You already have the promise that He's working all for your good. You already have the promise that He's he's never going to leave you or forsake you. You already have the gifts of the Bible and, and Christian fellowship and the gift of prayer. Already, God has given you tremendous blessing to help you run the race to the day of ultimate blessing. The day when you get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in person and live with Him forever in glory. Do you understand, dear believer, that this very moment Christ is blessing you? This very moment you are living in blessing. Are you not hearing the Word of God preached? Are you not surrounded by fellow believers who love you? Are you not sitting here, dear Christian, with your sins forgiven, with peace in your heart, with joy in your soul, with hearts that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? God has already blessed you tremendously. He does not hold back His blessings until the last day. The last day is going to be wonderful. But He gives us blessings even now to sustain us so that we make it to that day. He did so for Isaac. We saw it last Sunday night. He does so for us. The final truth that we saw last Sunday night, this was truth number four, is that we should expect some persecution and hostility in this life as we live as strangers and exiles. We should expect persecution and hostility. Just as our Lord was hated and scorned and plotted against, so we too as Christians will find that there are people who will oppose us, people who will hate us, people who will seek to defraud us and take advantage of us. Our brothers and sisters in other countries know this perhaps better than we do. They experience persecution at a more severe level than we experience. But we do experience hostility and persecution here too. And we must be ready to respond to it well. The way Isaac responded when they kept fighting over every, del, every well that he kept digging up. Right? 
He digs up a well of spring water. It's going to sustain him and his family in the midst of a famine. And what happens? The locals come and say, no, it's ours. You dug it, but we're claiming it. He had every legal right to fight for that well. But after a while, in order not to make a stink in the name of God, he persevered, he endured, he moved on and dug another well. How will you respond, dear Christian, when people take advantage of you because you're seeking to be a meek person? Because you're seeking to live a life of of gentleness the way Christ was? Meekness is not seen as a good thing in our culture. You're going to get run over. You're going to get taken advantage of. How are you going to respond when people mistreat you? Are you going to have hearts full of hope that honor Christ? Keeping a clean conscience, ready to give a defense for the hope that you have, speaking to people with gentleness and with love so that even the way you treat them is so pure that it causes them to be ashamed for the way they're treating you. That's how Peter says to respond to persecution and hostility. So all of that's review. (laughs) Now we come this morning to the last two points that I want us to see from Genesis 26. The last two truths, the last two doctrines that apply to us. Truth number five is this one. Our lives should be marked by worship and communion with God. Our lives on this planet and this day should be marked by worship and communion with God. Now, there is a very real sense, as you well know, that our, that our entire lives should be worshipped to God. Right? Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do all to the glory of God. There should be a whole life of worship that we are living before God. We present ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans 12. But there should also be times in the Christian life set aside for personal worship and communion with God. There should be moments throughout our journey in this life in which God addresses us individually and we respond back in worship and in praise and in prayer. Isaac is now in the valley of Gerar. He's been experiencing these well wars, right? These wars over these wells. These, you know, who's going to have the, the water in the midst of this famine? His herdsmen and the local herdsmen have been fighting. And finally, Isaac comes to a place where he digs a well and there's no quarreling. And he says, he calls this place Rehoboth. Open spaces. He says, now the Lord has made room for him and his family and he can be fruitful. And it's in this place that he stays for a season and then it's time to move again. It's a nomadic family. They're herdsmen. They they must always be on the move. They they have to take their flocks and their herds to new pastures, to to greener grass. And, And so we pick up in verse 23. Verse 23 is where we're picking up. And we find Isaac picking up his tents again. It's time to be on the move again. And we're told that from there he went to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And their Isaac servants dug a well. Just as God had done for Isaac's father Abraham, now God does for Isaac. 
He didn't just make a covenant with Abraham and say, I will bless you, obey me, and then never talk to him again. No. All throughout Abraham's life, God appears to Abraham again and gives him new reminders. I am with you. I will be blessing you. Keep obeying. Keep trusting. And he does the same thing for Isaac. He's already made a covenant with Isaac. He's already promised he's going to be with him and bless him. And he appears again. Isaac, I'm still with you. Isaac hears from God. And he responds by building an altar to the Lord. It's an altar for? It's for sacrifices. Isaac worships God. He responds to having heard from God by offering up praises and by offering up prayer. So here in the midst of Isaac, seeking to live life by faith, we find another moment in which Isaac hears from God and responds with worship. Isaac has a real relationship with God. Isaac is experiencing real communion with God. There is real communication taking place between this puny little man and the God who created the universe. It's happening. He's experiencing what it is to walk with God. God speaks. Isaac hears. Isaac worships. God receives Isaac's worship. This is a relationship with God. This ought to mark the life of every true believer. We hear from God regularly through His Word. We seek to understand and make changes to our lives based on what God speaks to us through His Word. And then we respond by lifting up prayers and praises to God. We respond in worship. There is a real communication taking place between us and God on a regular basis. Does this mark your life? Is this very familiar to you? Or is this... Not familiar to God appeared to Isaac. We're not told how God appeared to Isaac. Um, if it's as we've seen in the past in Genesis, the normal pattern is as the angel of the Lord, Yahweh's messenger. We've argued in the past that this is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not told how God appeared to Isaac. We're just told that God appeared to Isaac. The Word of God came to Isaac in person form. The Word of God comes to us in book form. There are many great benefits to having God speak to us in person form. Who in here would not be thrilled to have the Lord Jesus Christ walk in this room and bring to us the Word of God this morning? Would that not make you happy? Well, we have the Word of God in book form. There are some benefits to having the Word of God in book form too. Because it means we're not waiting constantly for when God decides to come in and to speak to us. He has given us His Word in black and white in a book you can keep on your bookshelf so that any moment you want to hear from God, you can hear from Him. Isaac had no Scriptures. Isaac, when he was longing for a word from God, he had to pray. He had to say, Oh God, would You visit me again with a word? Will You come speak to me? Will You help me? When we are longing for a word from God, we have a word from God at our fingertips. That's a blessing. 
available to you every moment. This is why you can have a walk with God that is even nearer and dearer than the saints of old had. For you can commune with God every day in His Word, hearing from God, responding with praises and prayers. On the Lord's Day, we gather together like this in this room. We do this corporately. We commune with God together. We, we hear from God together. God addresses us through His Word. When we have the public reading of Scripture, when we're doing our responsive opening reading, when we're having the sermon preached, God addresses us together as a family through His Word. And we are responding to these words from God with prayers and with praises. I will glory in my Redeemer. But what we do in here on Sunday corporately ought to be the the culmination, the climax of what you're experiencing as families and as individuals all week long. Hearing from God. Offering up your prayers and praise. This is what it means to follow God in these days. Do you hear from God each day? Are you taking time to have the pure words of God bring truth to your attention? Friends, we live in a world of darkness. We need fresh light every day. (laughs) We need fresh, everyday reminders of what's true. Because this world's confusing. If you've got this whole political thing figured out, you've got me beat. So many of these issues that are affecting us as a country right now, I don't know what to think. My mind is all over the place. It is so good to have a place I can go to and find clarity. Clarity is precious. Are you reading through the Bible in a year? Do you have a book that you're going through? Do you have some plan that you're following where God is speaking to you every day and you can respond in prayer and praise? Are you walking with God? By the way, we read earlier, this book is more precious than gold. It is more precious than, dare I say it, our lives. Why would we neglect it? There's nothing you own that's more precious than this book. People people get a new car and they they want to take such good care of it and they wash it every day and they wax it and they keep it in their garage and let anything touch it and they they treasure it. They wouldn't dare let a kid eat in it and all these things. They they want to take good care of, of this possession. Folks, your Bible is the most precious possession you have. It is the Word from God to you. Would we really neglect it? Just let it sit there? I could hear from the God who created the universe right now, or I can watch ESPN. What am I going to do? Now, there's a time and place for ESPN. But let's not neglect this. Let's not neglect hearing from our God. This is how we're to approach our Bibles each day. Oh Lord, I need you. There is so much going on in my life. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your help and your direction. I need your commands. I need your promises. Teach me, Lord. Help me. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to sit at your feet as a disciple. Oh, Jesus, teach me. That's the way we should go to our Bibles. And then, 
as we learn, as God teaches us, we should be responding in prayers and praise. God, I I hear what you're saying in these verses. Now here's my situation. And you just unburden your heart to God. Now God, help me see, how does this match this? In light of what I've just read, how do I I deal with this relationship? How do I I fix this situation with this co-worker? What do do I do here? And as God teaches you in the Bible who He is and helps you grasp more of His character, you respond with, oh God, help me love you all the more. You are amazing. And you offer up praises to God. So we should be hearing from God. We should be speaking to God. Our lives in this world should be marked by communion with God. Thomas Brooks said that the sweetest and the best flowers of paradise God gives to His people when they are on their knees. That prayer is the gate of heaven. You want a taste of heaven on earth? Get on your knees and spend time with God. I love this quote from Chrysostom. He was an early church father. He said, consider how august a privilege it is when there are angels present, when there are archangels thronging around, when there are cherubim and seraphim encircling with their blaze the throne of God that a mortal may approach with unrestrained confidence and converse with heaven's dread sovereign. What kind of honor has ever been conferred like this? Like I said, church, do you grasp the blessing you're living in? You have the right, the confidence, the call, the command to go to God any moment. The King of the universe. It's an incredible honor purchased for us by the blood of Jesus, and we should make use of it. Spurgeon said that prayer is like a great bell in heaven. That prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell in heaven rings in the ears of God. Spurgeon says that some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. That is, there's no earnestness in their prayers. They just pray occasionally. They just pray meekly a little bit. You know, They don't really mean it. Bing. Spurgeon said that there are others who give an an occasional pluck at the rope. That is, just when they need something, just when they, when they, they have something they want from God, they come and ring the bell. But Spurgeon said that he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Let us be a people of prayer. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, let us teach our children, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, let us teach them what it is to call upon the Lord God. Last doctrine in this passage, last doctrine, number six in Genesis 26, is that our lives in this world can have an evangelistic influence on others. Our lives in this world can have an evangelistic influence on others. That's what we see happen with Isaac. His time in the valley of Gerar has made quite an impression on Abimelech and the Philistines in Gerar. Remember, Isaac started off really rough with these people. He told them a bold-faced lie and got caught in it. That's not a good way to start witnessing to people. 
That over time, after he came clean and things were set right, they began to watch as God blessed Isaac and as Isaac trusted God. And this continued over years. God blessing Isaac and Isaac trusting God. And as he moved from place to place in the valley, they could see what God was doing. And it affected them so that when Abimelech comes to Isaac, he greets Isaac in the name of Isaac's God. Here is a pagan who now seems to believe in Yahweh. Now, he may not be saved. He may still believe in his other gods too. But Isaac's life has already begun to have an influence on this king. He's already begun to to rub off on these men. These Philistines had hated Isaac. These Philistines had been hostile to Isaac. These Philistines wanted nothing to do with Isaac. And now they come to Isaac and want to be at peace with him. They want to enter into a covenant with him. Originally, it was fear of these people that led Isaac into sin. Now Isaac has trusted God, and it's these people who have begun to be a little afraid of him. They fear Isaac's God. They twice use the name of Isaac's God in this paragraph. They say to Isaac, you are now the blessed of Yahweh. This is a reminder to us. That even in times when we stumble and when we fall, our lives in this world can have a real evangelistic influence on other people. The way we carry ourselves around others, the things that we say, the way we respond to hardship, even the way we respond when we sin can point people to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Notice that the Philistines had seen the blessings of God on Isaac. It had, got, it had garnered their attention. Here they are living in a famine. Isaac reaps a hundredfold in one year. That gets their attention. They're hungry. And God is pouring out crops for Isaac. His sheep are, are having huge... I can't think of the word. Lots of baby sheep. He's being blessed. And so just as they see God's blessing on Isaac and begin to have some measure of faith, begin to see there's something to Isaac, there's something to Isaac's God, so people should be able to look at the blessings God has given us and say the same thing. So for example, if you're a Christian, you ought to have a peace in your heart that passes all understanding. So that you and a co-worker at work might be going through the same trial. And yet you're able to get up each day with a smile on your face and with a deep-seated joy that even as you cry through the trial, you can still say, I rest in my God. I am okay. That has an influence on people. They see, God has blessed you to let you feel that way, to let you think that way, to let you believe that way. What is this hope that you have? We ought to have a joy that's unshakable. We have reason for a kind of boldness and confidence that is rare in this world. By God's grace, we can be people of integrity and of love and of humility and of kindness. And all of these things ought to be pouring out of us as God blesses us with them. And it gains people's attention. I read this week about a eulogy that Martin Luther gave for a a fellow at his funeral. The man's name was Nicholas Hossman. And Luther said of this man, this man lived as we preach. (laughs) 
In other words, everything I've been preaching to you about what it means to follow Christ, everything I've been preaching to you about what it means to be a Christian, this man lived. His life was a sermon. Friends, our lives can be sermons that bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must speak truth. But our lives can have a real evangelistic influence on others. And so I would ask you now, is that happening? Are you living in such a way where where that is true of you? Are you finding such joy in Christ, such such peace in Christ? Are you communing with God and worshiping with God so so that all of your deepest needs are being met each and every day so that you can go out into the world and when everybody in the world is full of anxiety and stress and despair, you can walk with peace in your heart. You're able to be concerned with the problems of others rather than being consumed with your own problems. Is that you? And if not, why not? Have you not turned to Christ as your Savior? Is He not sufficient to handle every burden you bring to Him? Are you not trusting Him? Has He not told you to cast every care upon Him? Why is your heart not overflowing with peace? Why is your heart not overflowing with joy? What more can He give you to make you joyful than what He's given you? He's given you everything. He's given you God. And so let us be encouraged. Let us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and find in Him everything we need. Let us commune with Him daily, hear from Him afresh, respond in prayer and praise, and our lives will have an evangelistic influence upon others, just like Isaac's did on the Philistines of Gerar. We close this way. We've talked a lot this morning about blessings, the the blessing of communion with God, the blessings that accompany our lives and cause us to stick out in the eyes of others. But we need to remember that all of the glorious blessings that God gives us come to us only through Jesus Christ. We do not deserve these blessings. We deserve the curse of God. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to be cut off from communion with God. We deserve to have hearts that have no peace, hearts that have no joy. We deserve hell. We are criminals against God Most High. If you do not own up to that, you are far away from the kingdom of God. You must know who you are, and it must grieve you. But if you are willing to be grieved by who you are, then look to Christ and see that He is a sufficient Savior for you. Everything God requires for you to be made right in His sight, Christ has done. Trust Him. Follow Him. Become His disciple. Say, not by anything that I've done, but by everything that Christ has done in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, through that I am going to be a child of God. I rest in Christ and through Christ I am saved. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Get into a church where you can learn the teachings of Jesus. Follow Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hope that there's none here this morning still living under the curse of God. Because if that's you, all of these blessings I've been talking about are not for you yet. You must come to Christ. So I urge you to do so.
Let's pray.